You've all seen this book before, having sold over 2 million copies. But did you know that a lot of mental health professionals actually hate it? The Body Keeps a Score by Dutch psychiatrist Dr. Bessel van der Kolk has opened a Pandora's box in the world of mental health, igniting intense discussions and debates across the globe. It's a book that promises to unlock the secrets of how our body holds onto trauma as it reverberates through our mind. Yet amidst the waves of praises, there lies a sea of concerns, skepticism, and professional critiques. Is the science in the book oversimplified? Does it make normal human emotions seem like clinical problems? And more concerning, does it give a pass to those who perpetuate trauma? We're about to sift through the praise to find the potential dangers hiding underneath this pretty blue cover. And who am I to guide you through this? My name is Dr. Salman Aziz Mirza, triple board certified in adult psychiatry, child and adolescent psychiatry, and addiction medicine, and I'm going to show you why it might be time to throw this book away. Many of us have experienced moments that send a rush of memories flooding back. Sometimes pleasant, sometimes not so pleasant. This is the crux of The Body Keeps the Score. It proposes that our bodies hold on to traumatic experiences, manifesting in various physical and mental symptoms. But here's where the problems begin. What happens when a book uses vivid descriptions that might trigger those very memories in some individuals? It's a double-edged sword. While it illuminates the path of understanding trauma, it might also be a trigger point for some readers. The concept of trigger material isn't new. It's an acknowledged concern in the mental health community. Imagine reading a book, hoping to find answers, but instead you stumble upon a passage that sends you spiraling back to a dark place. This is a real concern for many individuals and professionals alike. Some argue that while the book, while important and educational, can be a psychological minefield for those with a history of trauma. So how could this have been better? The answer lies in discussing the concepts of balanced exposure and trigger warnings. Balanced exposure means presenting material in a way that educates without causing undue distress, while trigger warnings are like a road signs, giving a heads up about the bumpy road ahead, allowing readers to brace themselves or to choose a different route. Trigger warnings aren't a thing for snowflakes, like ignorant people online say, but about informed consent and psychological safety. So, trigger warning, referencing some sexual abuse, so feel free to mute for a little bit. When the book goes into the story of a young girl who was sexually abused by her father, the details provided can be quite graphic and distressing for some readers, especially those who may have had similar traumatic experiences. And triggering content, done now. See? That wasn't too hard, was it? Sometimes the lines between normal and abnormal can get a bit blurred. The Body Keeps a Score throws light on how trauma affects us, but does it tip the scales towards over-pathologizing normal emotional responses? It's a question that is echoed throughout society, as therapy speak has invaded our day-to-day -day life, with words that were once used behind closed doors now thrown around flippantly on TikTok and the like. The desire for understanding is fundamental to humanity. It's what propels both individuals and professionals to delve into books like The Body Keeps a Score. But what happens when that narrative steers towards seeing pathology in normal emotional variants? The frustration is real. The concern is that such narratives might lead to a culture of overdiagnosis, where normal emotional responses are hastily labeled as pathological. It's a slippery slope. 
On one side, there's the absolutely necessary need for awareness and education. On the other hand, the peril of overpathologizing and calling everything trauma, which renders the word almost meaningless. What we need is a balanced understanding. It's about distinguishing between normal emotional landscapes and pathological ones, fostering a narrative that educates without instilling undue worry or fostering a culture of over self-diagnosis. Now don't get me wrong, there's always a place for that, as that sense of that something ain't right is what brings someone to my office for further exploration. Now, let's venture into another murky territory, diagnostic overshadowing. When a person steps into my office, the hope is to be seen, to be understood, and to receive guidance towards a betterment. But does the narrative of The Body Keeps a Score cast a long shadow that might hide other crucial aspects of diagnosis? Diagnostic overshadowing is a real fear. It's when the focus on trauma-related symptoms overshadows other medical or psychiatric conditions, potentially leading to either misdiagnosis or totally missing a diagnosis. This is a valid fear among professionals who dream of improved, nuanced diagnostic approaches, but are concerned of the everything is trauma narrative pushed by people like Dr. Gabor Mate. The dream is to see the patient beyond just a silhouette of trauma imprinted after they read a book like The Body Keeps a Score, broadening the lens to encompass the multifaceted nature of human psychology and physiology. Now, let's discuss the neuroscience and if the book hits the mark or does it miss. The allure of neuroscience is undeniable. It holds the promise of decoding the cryptic language of our mind, offering an understanding that could transform lives. This is the pedestal upon which many have placed the body keeps the score. However, the road to deciphering the mystery of our mind is fraught with complexities. Does the book simplify these complexities a tad too much? Does it give everyone who reads it the false confidence of being a neuroscience expert? This criticism emerges from a place of concern concerned that the book might be painting way too simple of a picture. Some professionals argue that certain interpretations of neuroscience in the book are akin to looking through a keyhole when we have doors yet to be opened. They crave for an accurate representation, one that doesn't just skim the surface but dives into the depths. The desire is palpable. We all wish for a narrative that's both accessible to the millions who have bought the book and resonant with the scientific community. A narrative that bridges the gap between complex neuroscience and public understanding without losing its essence. But there's also a real fear with this dream of having a well-informed public. To fear that oversimplified narratives might perpetuate myths, muddying the waters of public understanding rather than clarifying them. The Body Keeps the Score opens a much-needed dialogue. But like any conversation, it necessitates further exploration, further questioning, and further understanding. As we sift through its pages, the discourse it sparks is a testament to its impact, both the accolades and the critiques. And let's talk about perhaps the biggest ones. Now, let's delve into a delicate yet significant critique around The Body Keeps a Score, particularly concerning war veterans. The narrative often revolves around how trauma shapes individuals, sometimes excusing behaviors that result from them experiencing traumas. The book famously starts out with the story of a white male soldier who had committed terrible acts of violence, including murder and rape. Upon returning from war, laden with harrowing memories, he acted out violently, a reaction traced back to his wartime experiences. This notion, while comforting for some, can inadvertently excuse harmful actions, especially towards women and non-white individuals. This narrative begs the question, where do we draw the line between understanding the impact of trauma and holding individuals accountable for their actions? 
Acknowledging that most of Vandercock's experiences was working with veterans in the VA system, the book leans heavily towards how deeply war traumas can scar individuals, altering their behavior significantly. The discourse now tilts towards finding a middle ground, recognizing the profound impact of trauma while also upholding the essence of personal accountability, ensuring that acts of violence and aggression aren't dismissed merely as byproducts of past trauma. Most importantly, the narrative, when overly focused on explaining the actions of traumatized individuals, especially war veterans, can overshadow the ordeal of survivors or victims on the receiving end of violent behaviors. By centering the discussion on understanding the aggressor's trauma, the victim's experiences, needs, and rights for justice and healing might be relegated to the background. This skewed focus can inadvertently perpetuate a culture of silence or victim blaming, making it more challenging for survivors to seek justice and societal support. As one reviewer put it, I felt the author showed more compassion for the soldiers who raped and murdered than the rape victims, and the ways in which he discussed the two left me feeling the women weren't as well humanized. Lastly, in 2018, Dr. Vandercock was fired from the Brookline Trauma Center that he created 40 years ago in Massachusetts amidst allegations of creating a hostile work environment and being abusive and denigrating towards coworkers. Which, for the guy who wrote the most popular book on trauma ever, not the best look. The Body Keeps a Score has indeed garnered much acclaim for shedding light on the profound and pervasive impact of trauma on an individual's body and mind. Its empathic narrative towards understanding trauma has been a beacon of hope and a source of validation for many. Trust me, when I initially threw this out there as a topic to bring up, there were just as many defenders as critics people who called it mandatory reading, or those who recommended it to all of their patients. By weaving together personal stories with clinical insights, the book has helped in the process of destigmatizing mental health issues, making the topic of trauma more accessible and less alienating to the general public. Moreover, it's been lauded for sparking critical and much needed discussions around mental health, acting as a catalyst for a growing movement towards trauma-informed care. Dr. Vandercock is credited with coining the term developmental trauma disorder, more commonly known as complex PTSD, which I am a huge believer in. Now, as we wrap up, let's continue to engage in these kinds of dialogues. The journey towards greater understanding and better mental health resources is a collective one, and your engagement is a significant part of that. If you read the book, I would love to hear your thoughts. Am I hitting the mark or did I totally fumble this one? If this discussion has resonated with you or sparked your curiosity, I encourage you to like, follow, share this content so that more individuals can be part of this conversation. Don't forget to subscribe for more discussions. Share your thoughts, your experiences, and questions in the comments below, and let me know some new topics to bring up and help keep this dialogue alive and thriving. Thank you, and until next time, be safe and be well.